0: Cascade. My name is Abe Proctor. I'm the Community Relations Manager at PCC's Cascade Campus. And welcome to the latest episode of the podcast. As we speak, it is the morning of Monday, April the 20th. Uh, Looks like another beautiful day in the Pacific Northwest. I hope that you all are safe and well. Um, A little bit later, we're going to get to the interview on this week's episode. Uh, It is with Dr. General Johnson. Uh, Most of you know him in his capacity as director of the TRIO program at Cascade, but he is also a physician in private practice. Um, So his insight is going to be of particular value for the topic we're discussing today, which is the fact that uh, COVID-19 kills African Americans at a significantly higher rate than it does other members of the general population so that's coming up in just a few minutes uh before we get there i want to repeat once again my call for submissions um a big part of this podcast is all of you speaking to all of you so pick up your smartphone find that voice recorder app and take 60 seconds and uh send us something to play on the podcast it could be just about anything under the sun so um the purpose of this podcast is to try and keep us all connected while we're away from campus, while we are away from this location that is the center of so much of our lives and the focus of so many of our personal and professional passions. So as a matter of course, I've tried to keep this podcast generally positive, um, you know, focusing on the breakthroughs that we're all managing to make somehow, uh, teaching online and remote setting even in the midst of a pandemic on all of these little success stories. All of this is important and we need to share them with each other and that's why I'm doing this podcast. But there are moments and I'm sure you've all experienced this as well. When you look at the stark reality of what's going on, um, the fact that we are in the middle of a deadly pandemic, And it's hard to maintain that upbeat tone. It's a real struggle in the face of the human tragedy that's going on around us. Um, As I mentioned, it's the morning of April 20th. As we speak, uh, the death toll in the United States from COVID-19 has climbed above 41,000 Americans. And the death toll in the past seven to 10 days has easily been uh, the highest uh, of the pandemic thus far. And buried amongst these daily statistics is a disproportionate number of African Americans who have died from this virus. This would be a tragedy even absent the larger context. But of course, it's the larger context that makes this so sad, and so moving, and so tragic. The fact is that this fits a stor an historical pattern that goes back to the founding of our country and even beyond. And that pattern is this: when there is a disaster, when there is widespread suffering, it's African Americans and other marginalized communities that feel it. There's an old saying: um, when white America catches a cold. Black America Catches Pneumonia. It's almost been a, become a cliche. It's been used so often. But it nicely encapsulates what we're talking about here. When disaster strikes, it comes after folks of color much, much harder, and the suffering is far greater. This is part of the American narrative. It is literally a marker of our culture that we continue to live with to this day. It doesn't matter what kind of disaster it is, whether you're talking about a hurricane, whether you're talking about an earthquake, whether you're talking about a viral pandemic. It always hits folks of color harder. Now, we can only hope that somehow, this time around, maybe because of the fact that to a larger extent than any of us have ever experienced, we are all in this together. There is not an aspect of American life that has gone untouched by the COVID-19 epidemic. So we can only hope that somehow this will finally cut through the extraneous noise and members of the dominant culture will finally become conscious of the suffering that's going on amongst their friends, their neighbors, their colleagues, their fellow citizens. And maybe at long last, we can start to address the underlying systemic inequities and structural flaws that allow this to keep happening again and again and again in disaster after disaster after disaster. We can only hope. No, you know, that's not true. We can do a lot more than hope. We can raise this alarm and as educators, I think we are far better positioned, far better equipped than most people to raise this alarm. We are all suffering now, but we are not all suffering to the same degree. This is a fact. So, without further ado, let's move on to the interview with Dr. General Johnson. All right, we're joined today by Dr. General Johnson. He is the Director of TRIO Programs at the Cascade Campus, and he is also a physician in private practice. Uh, So his expertise, uh, I think, will be invaluable in investigating today's topic, which is this, why is COVID-19 killing African-Americans at a higher rate than the rest of the population? So let's start out with that question, Dr. Johnson.
1: Well, thank you, Abe, uh, for this opportunity. And um, to answer your question, there are uh, several different things that uh, create uh, opportunities where African Americans may be more greatly impacted uh, than others. And particularly, when we look at um, disease, uh, particularly chronic disease, Uh, African-Americans, although disproportionate in terms of the number of African-Americans in the population of the United States, there are higher rates of diseases such as hypertension, cardiovascular disease, um, and diabetes, and cardiopulmonary diseases as well. Now um, the first two that I mentioned, or the first three I should say, fall under cardiovascular disease, for instance, hypertension and diabetes, those are both cardiovascular issues their um, the weight the reason why is because of the way in which it impacts the entire cardiovascular system and, and ultimately the body uh, the um, constructive I'm sorry the uh chronic obstructive pulmonary diseases uh too are uh high in terms of the number of uh, African Americans that are impacted as well, and so those are three in particular uh in addition to just chronic disease in general. That can create the disproportionate numbers uh, in terms of those that can be adversely uh, affected or impacted um, by the COVID 19 pandemic. It's the impact that those diseases have on the body in general, particularly the tissues, uh, that are greatly impacted. And so it leaves one more susceptible to immune issues. And so that's because of the impact of the disease process itself and also the stressors that are involved. Uh, in the way in which the body uh, is more susceptible to disease process as a result.
0: So these uh, these factors, these underlying factors are are more present in the African-American community uh, proportionally than they are in society at large. So why is why is this the case? Why is there more diabetes, for example, amongst the African-American community?
1: Well, um, that's another uh, question that I think is uh, important because uh, much of it has to do with the ways in which uh, we've had to survive uh, in our culture, uh, particularly as you, if you look at uh, systemic um, racism or oppression, uh, the ways in which we've had um, lesser access, Uh, to things uh, in terms of how we're educating ourselves about how to live better, how to be better, how to have access to things that uh, those in dominant culture would uh, have greater access to on a more uh, regular basis are much different uh, for people uh, who have been historically minoritized or marginalized. And you may also find uh, those same things uh, prevalent among any other groups that have been marginalized or minoritized as well. So all, all of them have been um, uh, susceptible uh, to these uh, things that can result in higher disease rates because from a uh, social perspective, we have to look at the social determinants of health, uh, access to good health care, access to good quality uh, food, access to healthy um, environments, access to education access to transportation so that we can go to the places where we can get the care that we need. So a lot of it has to do with the privilege or the lack thereof.
0: So the the very institutional barriers and uh, systemic uh, inequities that have historically prohibited African-Americans from uh, sharing equally in America's economic prosperity and in uh, sharing equally in uh, in wielding political power, in attaining social status, um, all of these things um, are now contributing to a higher death rate because of COVID-19. It's as if yeah. the ground was has been seeded for many, many decades to create this outcome we're seeing right now.
1: Yes. And to, and to that point, um, which I think is very interesting, particularly when um, you're um, – Uh, denoting some who I'm I'm speaking when I say some as African Americans who have been able to um, break through some of the barriers particularly with education with uh, social uh, hierarchy in terms of positionality because of education or educational opportunities Uh, what renders um, those individuals susceptible to the same things is the impact of systemic Uh, oppression and racism so the impact that those factors have on the daily experiences of those who are in those positions uh is impactful because it leads to uh, degrees of varying varying degrees of stress that impact the body with some of those very things that i spoke up earlier that creates opportunity for us to be more susceptible such as the hypertension such as the um diabetes um obesity um Things of that nature create opportunity for anyone to be susceptible because although our educational opportunities or other opportunities has given us a degree of access to um, greater uh, opportunities in terms of how we can live and experience life based on our educational opportunities or business opportunities or other degrees of success renders us uh, particularly uh with the opportunity of having some of the same issues that any other aspects of the culture people in the culture would have because of those very things, stress in particular, or the ways in which we handle stress and or the impact that stress has on our body and as much as diet and other factors as well.
0: And it's my understanding also that then in addition to these uh, systemic and institutional causes that we're discussing, that there exists among the African American community to a significant extent a reservoir of mistrust towards the healthcare establishment that is rooted in historical injustices. Is that at a play here as well?
1: Absolutely. Uh and the, and the injustices uh can be uh when you when you go when you speak of the historical nature of that there can be some of the um very very uh large and obvious ones, like the Tuskegee experiment, for instance, which went on for 40 years uh, or approximately 40 years. And um, just the impact of also ways in which we've been treated uh, relative to uh, other races or dominant culture. Um, There is a lack of trust that I think sometimes um, is also uh, rendered in terms of how the access to care uh, is distributed for those who have and those who have not, or the varying degrees of what someone has. I mean, look at look at the impact of um, some of the uh, political figures, uh, particularly uh, particularly as it relates to the COVID-19 pandemic, who have been tested, and then there's a large number of people that still need to be tested, but they've been tested. You know, like there there that's an obvious. Uh, issue right there how does one have access to a test and others not when this is a pandemic so that's right. an issue and then the um impact of um some uh, going to uh, healthcare facilities and i'm speaking more of uh, hospitals or clinics and um their access to uh care or treatment is not as um, rapid as others um you know, there's different types of ways in which people are addressed based on uh stereotype or projections of a misunderstanding, whatever the case may be, that may come first prior to the fact that this individual in front of you that is desiring help of some sort. They don't know what's going on. Uh, what do they have access to in terms of um, having to wait? in a space where other people are ill, some uh, with varying degrees of illness, some with the same degree of illness. And one is exposing oneself to that same environment where um, whatever it is that they may be experiencing could be potentially potentiated based on exposure to something that someone else is uh, experiencing. So there are a lot of different things um, that are at play here, um, particularly when um, it's a mindful action to uh, mindfully uh, segregate, to mindfully discriminate Mm Um that has an impact on those who are uh, in uh, various uh, degrees of need at any given time.
0: It's astonishing to me that now, even at this moment, several weeks into a global pandemic, that our lack of testing capacity in the United States is still such a glaring problem, right? Because that's the biggest known unknown is how many people out there are infected, how many people might be uh, potential spreaders of the disease. And there's no way we can get our brains around that unknown without a dramatic increase in testing capacity. And that we still seem to be hamstrung by that. And it and it seems based on the, the data uh, that I've looked at before today's conversation, that this problem is magnified and exacerbated uh, amongst the African-American community in particular. It's, uh, you know, yeah. I really hate this overused term, but almost a perfect storm is happening here.
1: Yeah. You're, you're right. Um, that's, a, that's a very interesting um, <laughs> metaphor, if you will. Um, uh, very, very interesting because, you know, what happens in that perfect storm is that there's this period where everything seems to be very, very calm. And it's, you, there's this thought like, oh, it looks like we're getting through the rough of it. And then, bam, there's this huge um, experience that happens that we didn't anticipate because we thought we got through the roughest part. And so that looks like, um, for instance, in this particular case, uh, the number of people that may be asymptomatic, asymptomatic meaning that they don't have any symptoms at all. However, if one were tested, it could be that they have a positive result, Um, but they don't have any symptoms. They seem to be okay. Everything's working fine, no matter what, what it is that other people may be experiencing, they may be fine. So you have a large number of people who may be, Feeling that they're all right, who are going to go throughout their lives and their activities of daily living as if not, no other problems are existing. They're going to go outside, they're going to commingle among other people. So, um there are exponential numbers of people who are asymptomatic potentially who uh, are able to uh, carry on with life with no other issues at all so if those people are for instance are positive look at the number of people that they're coming into consistent contact with whether it's through uh, uh, community uh, uh, effort or community opportunities, uh, time in which they're able to just commingle, be around other people, and to exchange in whatever fashion that they may be doing so. And then suddenly, a larger number of people are getting um, sick. And again, we have to look at um, the ways in which uh, that can be played out, particularly um, as it relates to African American people. We're uh, generally a a people of community. Community is very important uh, to us in a variety of ways. Uh, how we connect, um, how we uh, learn, uh, a variety of different things that bring us together, um, both in larger uh, degrees of community and in smaller degrees of community. So if you have people who are uh, asymptomatic, um, then that could be a potential uh, problem or a way in which the transmission rates could take place, particularly when in the beginning of this, there was no um, uh, drive to get people to wear masks if you will. And now there's this drive to wear a mask, even if you're going for a walk, and, you know, and we've seen different displays of, of uh, notable uh, political figures who were sometimes and in some ways, uh, braggadocious about not being able, <laughs> not having to wear a mask, and Indeed. I'm going to touch people anytime I want, I'm going to hug them, I'm going to shake hands. And now it's like, you know, social distancing is suddenly a, a common theme in everyone's lives. And so um, sometimes uh, when we rely on media as a potential uh, factor or outlet for our information or Uh, factors and outlets of information for us, particularly um, as it relates to both global and national and local issues. Uh, There's a source there that has been provided for us that we've gained some degree of trust with. And so uh, when something uh, like this is occurring, then we go to trusted sources, you know, that's a part of community. And so we tend to trust community in that way, but it's also, um, potentially uh, negatively impactful when that information isn't accurate or helpful information ultimately. And so certainly uh, there are going to be some issues uh, with, with that as well.
0: Yeah, indeed. it's um, This issue of testing and appropriate capacity for testing keeps rising to the forefront of my mind. The gap between the response in this country compared to others that mobilized quickly and tested large, number of, large numbers of their citizens quickly and isolated the positive uh, test results. Uh, I mean, the difference is so stark. You consider the fact that, for example, South Korea and the United States had their first reported positive case of COVID-19 on the same day. And South Korea's uh, infection curve has leveled off and is starting to decrease, whereas in the United States, we are still on the upward slope of that curve. Um, So we can't even consider lifting social distancing guidelines until we're able to get some sense, uh, as you just mentioned, of how many people out there uh, are positive for the virus uh, and either showing no symptoms or very mild symptoms.
1: No, you're absolutely correct. I mean, because uh, if if we were to just um, uh, drastically uh, eliminate uh, the um, factors of social distancing or the positive impact of that, um, just drastically eliminate that, then again, uh, we don't know the potential fallout of that because there's so many people who have not been tested at all um it's a it's a catch 22 uh because every um aspect of our living and our experience has been impacted by this everything and so to drastically halt um things that are currently in place could be hugely detrimental uh or further detrimental not only to the economy, but to the population at large, because there's too many unknowns. Um, certainly, you want to flatten that curve as best as possible, but my, my sense and understanding is that we haven't even really reached a peak in well until around May. Hmm. And even after that, you, know, you have to look at uh, any potential factors for reinfection and what that might look like. So this is something that we haven't really seen, Ever like this, and so the unknowns are um, are multivariate uh, and plenty, and at the same time, uh, there is no said quote unquote um, standard uh, cure or treatment. No. <laughs> you know, the tr- the treatment varies uh, pretty much based on symptomatology, <laughs> right? And so, right. and and then so for something like that, you it doesn't it doesn't mean that. There isn't a sense of urgency because of because of the pandemic to try to uh, create or find a way to have a vir- I'm sorry, um, and um uh vaccination for it. Mm-hmm. But those types of things take time. We can't rush into that without looking at the way in which it's impacting those that are being uh, studied. So this is this is a large large issue here that can't necessarily be rushed. It just can't be. So we're we're pulling from every uh, source of information that we have, every bit of knowledge we understand about the human body and how it works, and um, how disease uh, processes um, uh, are. Are occurring in the body and how we treat them. Every every single aspect is being looked at, and so because of that, we can't just say, oh, here do this. There has to be a mindful effort, and if you look at it from a preventative perspective, um, that's where I think um, the greatest issue may may lie. And and how did this happen? How did it get this to this level to begin with? Um, so, um, this isn't going to be something that's just going to go away. Hmm. And, uh, we also have to look at the health and well-being of those who have been able to get through the this storm of their lives who have been dealing with this. And of course, uh, what we learn learned from so many that we've lost.
0: The storm of their lives, indeed. Um, I'd mm-hmm. like to turn now, uh, if we could, to the data, uh, Uh, around African-Americans in particular and I wish to let our listeners know that uh, a couple of things. First of all we're in the midst of a a pandemic so these statistics are changing day to day if not hour to hour so uh, some of the numbers I'm going to throw out right now are a couple of days old so bear that in mind. Secondly we don't have race related data yet on all of the COVID-19 deaths so there's another unknown in this whole factor but um, the numbers are are nothing short of stunning Uh, NPR Mm -hmm. National Public Radio is reporting that one third of people hospitalized by the virus nationwide are African-American. Science News is reporting that uh, African-Americans account for 42 percent of deaths from covid-19 around the country. Uh, This this is absolutely stunning Um, for. uh, Go ahead, please.
1: Well, it is it is stunning because, again, uh, When you look at um, the uh, lived experiences of um, those who've been uh, greatly impacted, and it it can make more sense as to why um, those numbers are what they are. Again, we have to look at uh, chronic issues. Uh, The chronicity uh, of those issues uh, may have started much earlier in life as opposed to much later. For instance, if you look at the uh, average uh, age, um, I think, uh, accordingly, in the beginning, it was those uh, 65 and older, um, some of the risk factors at the time were elderly, uh, again, again, those ones that I had already mentioned, but then there was this thought that, oh, younger people aren't getting it. Well, that's not true, uh, particularly um, if you're uh, you able to disaggregate that data. And some of which uh, the uh, data that you're mentioning um, seems to uh, reflect that there are uh, numbers of African-Americans who are much younger than those proposed uh, age groups that uh, are contracting the virus or living with it or having to deal with it on some level. And that's because some of the susceptibility um, to, or, or the, uh, in terms of those risk factors that have already been there, or we have to look at those social determinants of health that I had mentioned earlier.
0: Speaking of the social determinants of health, uh, it appears statistically that uh, the region of the country in which you live, if you happen to be an African-American right now, uh, may affect your fate. Um, for example, in in the Old South, uh, in Louisiana and Mississippi in particular, African-Americans account for over 65% of known COVID-19 deaths. Uh, that's according to Science News. And also in the same piece of reporting notes that um, African-Americans living in denser conditions in populous northern cities are also seeing infection and fatality rates that exceed those of the general population. Again, because of the socioeconomic factors of comorbidity you talked about, it's much harder to avoid the transmission of a virus if you live in a, a large apartment complex, for example. Um, so, yeah. again, it just seems that we're seeing factor after factor stacking on top of another each other, um, leading to these, these horrendous disparities in fatalities from this infection.
1: Absolutely, Abe. And also look at the, um, um, the um, <laughs> jobs. Um, that many of the people who are impacted have a uh, job and career could definitely you know, play a factor, particularly if it's not one that is likened to one's ability to work remotely. So um, if they're in positions of um, employment, like those who are cashiers, um, people who are uh, essential to the uh, everyday um, um, activities of, of life, providing uh healthcare, uh, people who are, um, public transportation, um, um, workers, um, just they're, they're, they're in constant, you know, um, access to people who may be ill or may not be ill. So you, they're, they're just, there's just jobs that tend to go along with, um, some of that, uh, that you're speaking of as well, that I want to make sure that I'm clear on. And again, um, that could also um, be a factor in terms of uh, the age being lower uh, for, for some than for others uh, because of uh, life and what they're exposed to, uh, not just in environment, but in terms of their work, uh, employment, things of that nature. Um, does that make sense?
0: It makes perfect sense, yeah. yeah. Uh, again, this compounding of historical factors. Uh, yeah. So I, I'm wondering... If we're talking about historical factors does does what we're seeing now uh the increased rate of morbidity among um african Americans who have contracted uh covid nineteen does this fit a historical pattern of uh african Americans and other minorities uh disproportionately suffering in the midst of disasters you know whether it's uh whether it's a hurricane or or a disease outbreak or what have you
1: sure absolutely. Um, again, uh, one goes back to the um, the lived experience. Um, what what is it that is different about the environment, uh, for instance, where um, the uh, greatest populations of risk are experiencing versus those who are in a much different uh, environment who are not as great of risk as those who are in those uh, environments where there's lack of um, in uh, in terms of. Uh, What are they exposed to on a daily basis? Where do they live? How do they live? Uh, You talked about, or sorry, you mentioned the um, just a congested uh, living um, environment could definitely play a factor. Or uh, what are people exposed to when they are outside? Uh, Are there enough trees that are providing uh, varying degrees of fresher air than in others? Um, What places do people uh, commingle and occupy that are inherently uh, very stressful? Versus uh, a non stressful uh, place where someone may live, uh, being able to uh, walk to a uh, trader Joe's or a mm-hmm. whole foods market to get the best quality food or have access to that versus having to uh, go from a place where there may not even be transportation to get to that place to get the best that right. you could that you can have or experience. I think those are those are um, internal those are external, uh, factors that impact us internally. Um, and those are, those are things that I think are, are historical in nature. And I think also that they're becoming, um, more a part of, uh, one's everyday experience too, particularly as it relates to, um, let's see, um, uh, changes in Denver and historically, uh, uh, demographic areas that have had a larger number of uh, um, African Americans or other uh, African um, or people of African origin or descent or of color, um, um, whatever the case may be, uh, those are those places are changing. They're they're moving further out and you have more dominant culture moving uh, further into the city. But when they're coming into the city, they're also creating opportunities to have access to those things that they would have had access to in places that they're leaving. Do you, do you see what I'm saying? I do. Yeah, so those are those are definite uh, factors as well. And those who can afford to maintain space in those places, uh, then uh, they may have access. But, again, we are not necessarily – uh, clear on what types of stressors that they may pose on them uh, in terms of the everyday experience. And so, those again are going to be factors that could potentially impact them or lead to a, a higher incidence of um, being ex- uh, or having uh, opportunities to be exposed uh, to things that are going to uh, adversely impact their overall health and well being.
0: I think we can say without equivocation that if we were a less racist country. We would be a healthier country right now, and if we were a more economically inclusive country, we would be a healthier country right now.
1: Absolutely, absolutely. This is a this is a, an example, of, and there are many, but this is an example of, of, of realizing what equity really can look like. Right. And equity doesn't have a race, it doesn't have a gender, it doesn't have a lifestyle. Equity is equity and a lack of equity is a lack of equity. And and I mean that's it in a nutshell. Right. And these are you know, in a nutshell that's what it is. We can't have this conversation, in my opinion, and not really talk about the inequity in general. And that is what we're seeing and that is an example. In my opinion, that I'm choosing to use that uh, gives us an opportunity to compare what is happening in South Korea versus here to the degree that um, the president had to call to get test kits from South Africa. Like we are the United States of America, right? <laughs> right. You know, and that just makes no sense <laughs> at all. That you would have to call another country to get test kits to be sent over here. Yeah.
0: Yeah, exactly that's that's really
1: go ahead I just wanted to point out like this is the, this is a, a height of inequity truly and, yeah. and everyone is being impacted by this and that's the point that I want to make yes I want to I want to also make sure that we're addressing the issue with African Americans and other people of color yes and if inequity is the root of that, then equity inequity is the root of all of this in a larger scale. That's my point. We have to move past. We have to acknowledge uh, racial disparity and in, inequity, in but we also have to acknowledge inequity, period. That's the point I want to make as well, if that's okay.
0: Oh, that's absolutely okay. And I have to say <laughs> that's that's completely spot on. I and mean, the the irony in, in this situation is so profound. I hear I keep hearing people say on the TV and elsewhere uh, that this virus does not discriminate. You know, it infects young Mm -hmm. and old and black and white, everyone, you know, and that's Mm -hmm. true from the standpoint of the mechanics of viral transmission. But as Mm -hmm. you know, as the data we're discussing show, uh, the virus very much does discriminate in terms of who is dying. And the, the root of that, as you just so eloquently stated, is inequity it is that we are now sure. reaping the harvest of literally centuries of injustice and racism right. and systemic inequity. Right, we are. Indeed. Yep. So, um, we, before... we see it every day. <laughs> every day. Um, every day. I, it, this has been a wonderful conversation, Dr. Johnson. I wanna thank you for joining us yep. on the podcast today. And before we sign thank off, um, mm-hmm. I wanna give you another easy softball question. <laughs> what okay. what are some of the <laughs> what are some of the systemic steps we can take uh, to prevent this level of suffering amongst um, marginalized communities in a similar event in the future?
1: All right, thank you for your question. I think there are um, several things that can be done. You know, um, our reliance on uh, media is um, is um, huge, and I say that with with the highest level of respect uh because we rely on news uh we rely on information uh as um as sources of things that can positively impact us uh in terms of how we uh, go about our daily lives um we uh make use of uh, education as a way of um bettering our understanding of things to allow us to critically uh, think about things and so one thing uh, or should I say several things that could be done is one is really start to um, educate people on um, things that they can have just around the house uh, to uh, prepare themselves for things like that, for like this, for instance, like, Oh, what's wrong with having masks? It may not mean that you use them all the time, but just knowing that they're available right. in your home, how to have uh, stores of um, uh, Goods that may be uh, necessary to have if there is some type of um, disaster, and when I say disaster, I'm talking about natural disasters. So the preparatory uh, things that would be important, even in those, would be something that would be important to have right now. Uh, we see large numbers of people stockpiling um, daily uses of things like uh, toilet paper or uh, towel, uh, hand towels, or just just to wipe things up, or just stockpiling. Uh, foodstuffs and things of that nature. I'm talking about really educating people on um, how to co-create opportunities where they have basic needs and we're creating opportunities for people to have those things. And so that if something like this were to happen again, people would, number one, have a sense of clarity that, okay, we have our our basic needs are going to be met. Also, we can do the same thing in communities um portland is a is a is, a, is a, a many among many places i'm speaking of portland because that's where i live um, you know there you look at neighborhoods that are coming together just to identify what do people in the neighborhood need where are they at right now it's like a baseline understanding of what is going on in the community and who needs what and how do we get that so when i think about uh that i think about ways in which uh we can take a few minutes out of a of a news uh, ses- segment and say, for three minutes, let's just talk about this. Okay, if there's an emergency, go here. <laughs> you know, if this happens, this is where you would go. How many people know what to do? As a public health educator, and when I teach um, the, the uh, health educational courses, I talk about these things because there is a such thing as a potential zombie apocalypse. And we see that happening in some ways right now, although we can take the zombie word out it's an apocalypse of health in terms of health and people just don't know. And you can go to the grocery store and see empty aisles that historically have never been empty. We've never seen them empty. And so in what ways do we prepare one another for the potential of things that could happen in ways in which we know that we have some basic necessities of preparedness. The other is just uh, social distancing, um, is very, very impactful, particularly uh, with these types of um, uh, pandemics. And so are we going to have to be socially distanced um, uh, at at this length of time? Again, we don't know, but we also know that we can understand the importance of that hygiene, hygiene products. Just talking about hygiene um, is very, very important. And, And what ways do we kind of gloss over the importance of hygiene? It could be something as simple as just washing your hands, <laughs> you know I'm <Right. laughs> um, just you know like i i i think like the thought that I've had at times is that if the President of the United States has to, has to have a press conference and tell you how to blow your nose, my God, what have we done? What have we lost here? Yeah, you know, so you've dropped the I'm ball looking if that's at the case right, I'm just looking at just everyday things that we as a as a public as public. Uh, people can can be mindful of these types of things that are really everyday things that, on some level, these are things that we've been taught. You know, these are things that we know, but how easily is it for us to lose sight of that when we get, you know, overly comfortable? We think that this isn't important, and we don't realize that these things are very, very important. And um, so being able to uh, uh, educate oneself, uh, we need people to uh, talk about these things, and we need to do this in a way that doesn't scare people further. But it's just information that's important for people to know and to be aware. of. It doesn't mean that there may not be some fear things that issues that may come up as a as a result of that. Particularly, that's going to be mainly because of the potential outcome of not doing something. But you know, prevention, as Ben Franklin said, an ounce of prevention is worth a pound of cure. <laughs>
0: Well, I think uh, that's a
1: whole other segment, Abe.
0: <laughs> you know, uh, Doctor Johnson, we have segment upon segment we could who could dig into here. Uh, I really want to thank you uh, for appearing on the podcast. Your perspective has been invaluable, and uh, I think our listeners thank are going to find this to be a very edifying conversation.
1: Thank you so much. I didn't get to cover everything, but I did. I did um, do my best at covering what you asked. There's well, a whole lot more. But um, it's hard to cover in, in a short period of time. And I was just want to make sure that people um, uh, are aware of that. So, any grace in that area for me would be make greatly appreciated. I we couldn't well, cover you... everything, but I did what I could. <laughs> well, you shall have that grace, sir. Uh,
0: before we sign off, is there anything you would like to say to your colleagues and students at Cascade?
1: Um, I miss seeing you all. Oh, my God. I miss seeing you all. And you all. No, me. I am not great at social distancing. I hug everybody. <laughs> so, you know. So, um, but it, it's been an experience, and uh, I look forward to seeing you all face to face when that opportunity uh, arises again. And if, if, if until that time, uh, being able to connect with you uh, via Zoom or Google Hangouts. Uh, is also a great way uh, just to know that uh, you all are, are, are still there and that we're here together. Be healthy, uh, stay safe, and um, practice those things that are going to help us to maintain our health and well-being as much as we possibly can.
0: And you as well, sir. Thank you so much.
1: Thanks. Thank you. You're welcome. Thank you
0: that brings us to the close of another episode of Radio Free Cascade. I want to thank Dr. General Johnson for taking the time to talk to us this week. I want to thank each and every one of you for all you're doing to keep our institution going through this most challenging time. And I want you all to have hope. Please don't misunderstand the tone and the message of this episode. There are many reasons for us to have hope right now. The number of new daily cases in the country is falling The number of deaths per day is falling. There is light at the end of this tunnel that we're in. But I also want you to take just a moment and remember the fallen. Raise a glass. Say a prayer. Do whatever it is you need to do. Just remember that there are so many among us who are not going to make it through this chapter in American history. So here's to the fallen. This one's called St. James Infirmary. Be well, Cascade. Talk to you next time.
2: Hey, Cascadians. This is Greg Walters with the Multimedia Department wishing you all peace, health, and safety during the shelter-in-place. Special shout-out to Abe Proctor for keeping us Cascadians connected while social distancing ourselves. I look forward to seeing you all once we can return safely to campus. Until then, stay strong and positive, PCC.
0: Start date two zero zero four two zero. This is Damon Hickok from the Skills Center, reaching out to everybody on Cascade Campus. Hopefully, you're all staying healthy and with loved ones, or having a good time. Anyhow, uh, we're on I think about week four or five. My weeks are all over the place, kind of why I went to Stardate. Dates. Uh, I want to uh, excuse me. I want to send a special shout out to Carrie and the rest of the staff down at Swan Island Trades. For really working with me and collaborating and hopefully we'll have some good stuff to share with the Margaret Carter Skill Center Anderson Construction in Swan Island uh, until I can make that announcement hope you're all good and see you around uh, great job communicating with students um, I'm getting good feedback from the ones I keep in contact with uh, faculty staff awesomeness um, got one joke for you why did the monkey fall out of the tree because it was dead Hope you're all well. Bye.